Welcome once again to the Letterman Podcast. My name is Mike Chisholm. I am stoked to be here and uh, do this to talk about all the things, all things David Letterman and celebrate, like I said, I'm a broken record with this crap. I say the unprecedented body of broadcasting work. I truly believe that. It's a good time to be a Dave fan uh, in 2022. Who knew that we were going to be saying that, but we are. And uh, I've got a really awesome guest on the show today. They're all awesome guests, of course. Uh, but here's a guy who wrote for The Late Show for uh, 12 years, a baker's dozen years, something like that, 10, 12, yeah. 13 years, something like that. Uh, Tom Ruprecht is going to be on the show today. But before we do introduce Tom, um, who I don't know if he goes by Tom or Tommy, but we'll find that out here momentarily. We're going to do a quick sponsor shout out. Um, the, uh, the lone sponsor so far, but it's a doozy of the Letterman podcast is the Hello Deli. Uh, we want to thank Rupert and May for everything that they do. They are a sponsor of our show. Uh, this show is brought to you in part by them. And uh, hey, listen, did you break your late show mug? Did you, uh, you know, buy, go to New York and get a late show with David Letterman shirt? And, and, and it's just been years since Dave's been around. And so there's holes in that thing. Whatever. Did, did you know that you can go to hello-deli.com and you can actually get Late Show with David Letterman merchandise. One of the only places in the world you can actually get officially licensed Late Show with David Letterman merchandise. You can get Rupert shirts, all sorts of stuff. If you're from the New York area, go to the Hello Deli. Go get a sandwich. Go say hello to Rupert and May. And uh, if, uh, if you want some of this merchandise back again, do you need a Late Show cap? They're stylish and they advertise that you love the Late Show with David Letterman. You can go there right now, hello-deli.com and get yourself some official David Letterman merchandise. Uh, I feel so good. I don't feel cheap or used at all after I plug that sponsor. It is the greatest thing in the world. Uh, I just appreciate Rupert and, uh, and we've had Irene, uh, Rupert's girl Irene on here a couple of times already. Um, and I just thank you very much Rupert for sponsoring us. We appreciate this. It's a lot of fun. Now, now that the, uh, the chores are done, the heavy lifting is done. It's time to get to some fun. Tommy, Tom, Rupert, thank you so much for coming on our show today. I have, I can't tell you how big of a thrill it is for me thank to be you. conversing with you, man. And I, I would just like to say your heavy lifting is not done because <laughs> I am not going to give you an inch. You are going to be pulling teeth this entire interview. Yes. I'm not going to crack. Yes. Outstanding. Oh, this is phenomenal. Uh, I, uh, yeah. I, I, I go by Tom or Tommy, whichever you would uh, prefer. Okay. Uh, fair enough. I, I, every time I've seen, like when, uh, when Strahan and them were, were saying goodbye to you, it seemed ah, like yes. they were calling you Tommy. It I, I, like... I, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think people who know me tend, tend to go, go with Tommy. People who actually have talked to me and know how immature I am, they, they tend to go with Tommy. But I guess I, 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 I uh, whenever I write something, I usually sign it Tom to try to give me a, just a, just a smidge of credibility. A but, little uh, bit of professionalism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that immaturity goes both ways, sir. And, uh, yes. and, and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you're so enthusiastic and have this kind of unbridled enthusiasm. I, I share that same, uh, sure. that same gifting. Um, I want to get into it. So, so you were an, a long-term writer on The Late yes. Show. Yes, I was. I was there for a while. Yes. Incredible. Uh, and some of the things that you have seen, I want to get into some of those those highlights okay. here and, 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 okay. and whatnot. But I, at the end of the day, every single time we have a former staffer on here, uh, yes. I want to know what how you started working there. And I know that's a cliche question. I hopefully will be able to ask you some stuff that you haven't been asked before. But but I think it's really important for people out there to understand how some of these people got started and, and, and became associated with uh, with Dave and company. So okay. how did it start for you? Um, I actually, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I was a fan of the show and when I was in college, I was watching the show and, you know, they did, they did a piece where they mentioned the interns and, uh, and that kind of, you know, fired off synapses in my brain. Like, wow, I bet that would be fun. You know, little do I know, but, um, so yeah, so the, the, the show was on at NBC at the time. So I called just the main line at NBC and, 
some NBC person invited me in for an interview and I did that and they liked me. And so then they put me on the list to interview with the, the, the Letterman people. And so I got called back in to do that. And actually the person who I believe you interviewed like last week or uh, Daniel Kellison. Yeah. Uh, he interviewed me and, and the way, the way it works is like there, there were like internships for like eight different departments at the show. And so what you would do is you would come in as an, a prospective intern and you would do the round robin and you would interview eight different people. And hopefully one of those eight interviews would go well. And one of those departments would want you as an intern. So my first interview was with Daniel and it was fine. And Daniel was then supposed to take me and hand me off to, you know, the next person. And then sure. I would have eight interviews, you know, I, I didn't know. So I interviewed with, with Daniel, the interview finished and Daniel said, all right, now what am I supposed to do with you? And I went, I don't know. Cause no one had told me, but Daniel was supposed to know to hand me off. And so he goes, all right, I'll walk you to the elevator, you know? And, and, and so I left and only later did I find out that like, instead of having eight shots at an intro, I just had one now, like, and, and that I had just dramatically uh, killed my chances. But uh, uh, fortunately Daniel liked me well enough that I was, uh, he picked me. Oh and my God. Okay. So he was out of research at that point. He was a segment producer at the time then? He was, yeah, he had recently been promoted. Yeah, he was, he was, he was a new, relatively new segment producer. Yeah, I think he actually, yeah, he had just gotten the job, I think. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was now doing research for Daniel to try to help, uh, help him, uh, you know, find information for uh, uh, guest segments. And what, what year was this about approximately? This would have been 1989 into 90. We got into it a little bit with uh, with Dan, but but at the end of the day, researching back then, a completely different planet, different solar system to researching now. Yes, um, I mean, my gosh. See the, now, this the is process. this was this was this was the days before the internet. Yeah. Um, it was also the day. This is something you would take for granted now because everything's on YouTube. But back then, there was no YouTube, and like one of the charming things on like our show was it was a place to occasionally see during a guest interview like someone's like first appearance on tv sure. like you know like you know you know such and such you know so and so before they were famous maybe they were on the dating game or something like that sure. and so one of the jobs of, of the research was to try to dig up all that old footage which back then was really hard because the only all these all this footage was just kept in warehouses of various production companies. And so you would have to like see like, okay, 20th Century Fox owns the dating game and you would have to find the air date and then call somebody and, and then just like try to convince them to go to the warehouse and get the clip out, <laughs> cut the clip and send it to you. And it was like a very arduous process. And um, and that, yeah, that, that was, it was a lot of legwork, like, like trying to track down that kind of stuff. And now it's just, yeah, it's all on YouTube. And, and, but, and also it was, it was research because there was no internet you were just kind of like, you weren't just researching the guests. You were also just sort of like the librarian for everyone at the show. Just everyone at the show at the show who had questions that today they could answer on the internet. They would just call you with just random, random, you know, stuff. And like I remember once, Dave was thinking about getting a place in Montana, which mm -hmm. he's been very, very happily, you know, and yeah. Uh, and I remember his assistant called me and because I was in research, I was the guy to ask. She asked like, will bears be a problem in this part of Montana? <laughs> and I was like, geez, I don't know. And so I was like, what am I supposed to do? And so like, you know, she named the town and, and I, called, I called the hardware store in the town. And like, as, as I'm talking to them, I'm knowing what the answer is gonna be. I said like, hey, I'm thinking of buying a place in Montana, dude, I'm just worried, you know, our bear is a thing, you know? And as I'm saying it, I know that I come across like this jerk, jerk, New York jerk and like, sure. and sure enough, the, the guy in the hardware store is like, you know, hey, Harvey, this is a guy, for, you know, and they're all <laughs> laughing at me and like, oh, you scared of bears and everything. And so then I get off the phone and I call Dave's assistant. He's fine. Buy the house. There's no bears. Da, 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 da. Dave buys the, the, the house. And then, I don't know, a few months later, he's in the house. He walks into his kitchen and there's a freaking bear in his kitchen. Exactly. Little did he yeah, know. And so I felt kind of bad about that. Oh, well. I guess I wasn't very good at research, I think, is what we're all getting at. Um, okay, I want to know how long did you did you do that job for? Like clearly with your personality and all that, I can see how you would have evolved over to the writers and, and all that stuff. But how long did the research 
uh, job last? Uh, probably like three or four years, I guess. Oh, wow. Okay, so you did it for a while. Yes. Okay, so when you took that job, did Kellison basically hand you a Rolodex of contacts of some of these different places that you could go to? Or was it you building relationships with some of these folks uh, along the way who were the gatekeepers of whatever this information that you uh, yeah, were in charge of getting? It, it, it was a little of both. You know, like Daniel gave me a Rolodex, but then, you know, you know Daniel's per personality. So, you know, often he had burned those bridges, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> I was now starting from scratch. I <laughs> The last thing I wanted to tell him was that I, I, I was friends with Daniel Kellison. No, uh, no, Daniel, was, <laughs> Daniel uh, I'm, I'm sure this came up in his interview, but like there's no better segment producer in television history, I would bet. Like no one crafted a better segment than Daniel. And so it was just, it was a thrill to kind of get my start working uh, for him. And it helped me just immeasurably. Yes. I'm having so much fun with this process because uh, I am such a big enthusiast, uh, of course, of what you guys all did. Uh, but but through the process of doing this show, I talked to many of you guys and hearing you give shots back and forth to each other, good natured <laughs> shots. Like like I, I, I described this, you know, you guys had a family and we, we've talked about this on the show a few times. Uh, it's a lot of fun to be the relayer of these types of messages and things like that. And and if, if a fight begins at some point because of me doing that, either knowingly or unknowingly, you know, being used as a pawn by one of you guys, I think yeah. I think the, my job will be done. I think that will oh, be a no. good thing. If, if, if an actual fist fight between one of you guys <laughs> begins, I think that will be a good thing. There will be no fist. Fight. I, in fact, like just to show you, like like Daniel, like um, I, uh, a bunch of years ago, Dave got the Mark Twain Award down in DC, yes. mm -hmm. and um, and like Dave very kindly asked me to like help him with his speech, you know, and so I, I did, and um, and we were down there during the ceremony, and and Jimmy Kimmel was there. He was taking part in the thing, and Daniel was with Jimmy Kimmel, and uh. Jimmy Kimmel remarked that he like he really liked something in Dave's speech, and like Daniel like dragged Jimmy Kimmel all the way down these hallways just to bring him over to me and be like, "This is Tom Ruprecht. You should, you know, he's the guy who did this." Yeah. And it was, it was just like so kind. And like Daniel has done a million nice things for me. Yeah, yeah. You talk about that. We talked about that on on, on his episode too. With um, he is eternally uh, in charge of paying it forward because yes. Steve O'Donnell did that for him. And, and, and I just thought that was such a beautiful thing, how, how, uh, how you know, he was a, a no, an intern just come in there, yep. didn't know anything, thought he knew some things, uh, wrote some things, you know, to try and impress. And O'Donnell actually took time to take him out for lunch and say, okay. And he went through the whole thing with him and, and, um, and showed him so much kindness. And, yeah. and he said that eternally he will do that for people uh, yes. because of that. And it, that, is not an isolated incident with you guys and gals. Um, I hear that all the time. Yeah. That's a very cool atmosphere that, that, that you had people around you who, you know, whether or not they were there for a, a long period of time or their job was just to hold the baton for, you know, a few hundred meters and then hand it off to somebody. Right. You guys really did seem to uh, be, to take care of each other and to be there for each other. It was, it was, it was nice. Cause you hear, like, I never worked at Saturday night live, but like you often hear that it's kind of a cutthroat environment and, mm -hmm. and um. I, I mean, I don't know if it's it's testimony to having to do a show every day. Like, like at at some point, you're gonna need favors from everyone on staff, just because like there's just so much chaos and and, yeah. and and you know, and and so like it was really really a nice place to work. Like everyone really looked out for each other, and like that's why you know I stayed there a ridiculously long time. You know, I was probably there a total of like 17 years, which is crazy in TV to stay someplace that long. But the reason is, is because, you know, I mean, that's, they, they became my friends and I ended up, you know, marrying a woman who, who worked there and, uh, you know, um, yeah, it, it was really a great environment. I love that. Uh, I love that so much. And so you were, you made the transition then from NBC to CBS. I, I no, I did. So my internship was at NBC. I then yep. went back, finished college, during when I was finishing college is when the show switched. And then soon after they got to CBS, I graduated. And then I got, uh, um, once again, Daniel was one of the people who helped uh, bring me in uh, to get a job there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, 
you know, I don't know if there's a more historic moment. I mean, I love Carter's books and I love, I, I love looking at the history of it and whatnot, but, but living it like, I don't know if it's, if it's uh, underrated or not, but when people talk about the biggest moments that happened in television history or broadcasting history, to me, that is the number one moment. To me, that is the, 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 the pinnacle moment of a shift, you know, the, the Carter's book originally, The Late Shift. Right. I mean, so prophetic in its title. It wasn't just hosts moving um, and, and, and whatnot. The entire landscape changed. The franchise, again, I go up like a broken record. I go deep on this one. Um, right. The franchise had never, ever taken on The Tonight Show and made any sort of dent in yeah. it at all. Never mind the number one stuff. Who cares about that? Nobody had ever competed. Yes. And then when that shift happened, yeah. Um, you know, monumental. I, I do think it was it, it's it's one of the biggest moments in broadcasting history. Yeah. Uh, you were there early on. What was the pressure like when you, you know, before you kind of settled in and got, if you ever did get comfortable, I don't know if you ever did, but what was that pressure like when you started working there? Was it just all hands on deck, us versus them? Was that part of it? Or was it just we want to do right by Dave and help him put on a great show. I know how yeah, loyal I, everybody was. Like, yeah, was I mean, I guess, yeah. There, 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 there was, yeah. There was a Leno. There was, yeah, some pressure with Leno and competing with that. But I, I, I really, you know, that was kind of a macro, existential pressure. But I think what you felt day to day was more the pressure to do a good show, and then also just because, because Dave is extremely demanding, and you know hard on himself and hard on the material and like is continually like or would continually like rip stuff out and like you know we'd be rewriting the show a half hour before and so a lot of the pressure was 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 generated by kind of that that yeah was, that was the prime driver of the stress yeah the desire to have the best show possible yeah. uh and then do it again tomorrow and do it again yeah. tomorrow and do it again tomorrow the exactly. groundhog yeah. day effect must have just been bonkers it was yeah it was weird because you would you would just like you would finish the show and you know we would tape you know in the late afternoon and then you'd come upstairs after the show and it would be like 6 30 or something and then you'd be like oh gosh we have an empty slate for tomorrow and then <laughs> we need to put in a couple hours now to just try to you know and you're so burned out uh yeah that it it, it it truly was yeah it, it was a big grind what um when you by the time you got, I hate that we. I'm sorry that we're jumping around here so much, but I'm just so excited to be doing this, and and uh, and and hopefully this won't be the the last time you come on here. We can pick the brain okay. and get a little more granular. But okay, um, what would it when you were writing for the Late Show? When you got to that place where, you know, you were a regular writer, all of that. What what did your day look like? Did it start early? Or were you a typical like stand up type uh, type mentality where you work real late and then sleep in a little bit? What did it look oh. like? uh okay that's what um i'm, I'm just I'm, it, it, I'm i'm gonna give you a, a an answer in parts because it shifted great it, it, it like when i first became a writer it was the day would start usually 10 in the morning but we would go till 11 or midnight um we would go late it got it kind of shifted downwards um it it, it then became we would go in 8 30 or 9 in the morning and we would leave at like 8 you know that it kind of over the course of the show it it shifted it, kind of, it shifted that way yeah okay um and you know when you get in in the morning is it a continuation yeah. of the stuff you left on the desk like would you kind of like a game of pool give yourself a bit of a leave for the next morning <laughs> or or did you was it basically in the morning okay here's what we're doing I uh, um it, it was <laughs> it was usually uh the show what we would write would be kind of broken down to, I don't know what exactly the percentage is, but say maybe 60, 40, maybe 60% of the stuff is kind of what you would call evergreen material, which it's not tied to that day's news. So that's stuff you can write beforehand. Right. And then maybe 40% of the show's content will be stuff based on that day's news. So most of what you're doing, usually what you're doing after the show at night is is kind of the evergreen stuff getting loading up the the cupboard for for the days ahead yeah and then the day of when you get into work that day till showtime is generally spent um reacting to that day's news and so usually what we would do is we would start with a writer's meeting um 
so you would kind of you would come in and you would you would basically uh you know again this is you know back in uh, when there were newspapers um <laughs> you know uh you know you'd come in and it would be like cramming for a test you would take 20 minutes going to go into an office and just read through like five newspapers and really sort of get you know a global feel of what's going on in the world and then the writers would get together and then kind of talk about like just a billion ideas of what we should do for that day's show and then you know those would get pitched to Dave and then Dave would kind of winnow it down a little and uh and then you know you because a lot of the stuff we're doing is like fake commercials and sure. and so you're kind of right you're because that stuff takes a little time to put together um you you would generally like the, the um yeah you, you you would come up with ideas like for fake commercials or things that need voiceover and and need to be edited you dave would approve you know maybe eight of them sure uh sure. so then you're you're working on those you're writing those scripts you're bringing in voiceover people you're you're cutting that uh that voiceover and then it's going to take a couple hours for the various people to get the videotape you need to start editing so while they're getting that videotape usually that's when then you go back to your office and you would write top 10 jokes and you do that for about two hours and um and then generally you would then get called down to the edit room you'd start putting your pieces together that need to be edited um those would go to dave this is like a half hour before the show he'd watch all the video and then he oh. has so then he has changes and sure. so so like the the voiceover guys were all new to be local uh like at at you know like a half hour before showtime because we would call them back to like re-record lines and then we'd have to re-edit uh the video um yeah in time for the show that is uh you just mentioned a whole bunch of things that don't necessarily sound like they go together in a cohesive day um now i talking to some of the some of the folks who work for the show certain people seem to gravitate towards you know uh, a certain types of, of, of part, whether it be the top 10 list or the monologue or, or, or things like that. Was there yeah. a, an area that you focused on as a part of the writing team? Uh, well, uh, first off, was it a team or were you guys more run and gun, uh, competitive, that kind of thing? Or was it a, no, no, you're, uh, you do this, I'll do that. Well, I mean, there was, um, there were, there were some things we would write as a group, some things you'd do on your own. Yeah. Um, we weren't competitive again, like getting back to that. It wasn't really a cutthroat thing. Like people, like people were always willing to help like each yeah. other like give somebody you know is, is stuck on a script and somebody else would give them a line you know um as far as like specialties i used to you know for a bunch of years i would shoot a bunch of the remotes where i would kind of like go with biff to the super bowl or go with biff to the you know that nice. I, I did a lot of that kind of stuff um there was a thing great moments in presidential speeches that ran for a bunch of years <laughs> yeah sure was. That, that 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 was my idea and so yeah i would watch every bush speech because every day we'd need a new kind of like goofy clip for that um i always love writing top 10 jokes just because yeah. it, it, it was just you, you know we knew how to pick topics that were easy to write jokes for and and so you would just like write like 100 jokes in the span of a couple hours and it was just always fun to like just crank out stuff like that i i always enjoyed that I, uh, I'm glad you brought up the remotes and whatnot. And, and you know what? I was going to ask this later in the in, in the in the in the show, but yeah. I'll, I'll ask it now, and then we'll probably get to more of it. And there's probably so many. I mean, again, the idea that you guys churned out so much stuff, and then you know, even YouTube came up while you were doing this. YouTube wasn't even around at that point. Yeah. So much gold, and the reason for this show is the gold that was brought out at breakneck speed and then forgotten. Well, it's time to go back and look at some of that gold. And, and there's so, so much of it. Uh, the question is this, are, are there any remotes, like great moments in presidential history? Oh my God, I'm so glad the official channel put out a, a super video of that that had, you know, uh, at least a dozen of them all in one. I'm glad that the, I'm so glad that the, that Walter and his team are doing what they're doing now. Um, but are there moments, other than that one, are there moments that kind of, okay, Tom, what was something that you, uh, are really, really proud of her that you remember that was just really, really awesome that you were, uh, you were a part of her that you helmed. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
see, here's the problem, you know, I could say something, you know, I'm really proud of this, but then the listeners are going to look it up on YouTube and they're going to be like, he's proud of that. Oh my God. That's good. Doesn't um, matter. Who gives a shit? That, 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 that does not I, uh, matter. We're you know, you know what I really, w- what I really liked, um, like I didn't like doing the Super Bowl because that was just so insane. It was yeah. just, it was, and then you would have to, you'd be shooting till the Super Bowl's over. You'd shoot post game. You'd sleep for a couple hours and you'd wake up and you'd take a 6 a.m. flight back to New York and then you'd have to edit the piece in time for that night's show. And so that was right. just always crazy. I used to love doing the remotes at uh, Yankee Spring Training. Oh. I'm, not a Yankee, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I'm a huge baseball fan. And just the pace of spring training, it was, it was, it was nice to be out of the show for a, for a couple of days, which again is stressful. And just to be at spring training, which is a very laid back uh, uh, vibe. And yeah, that, that was probably, that was like my favorite thing to do. That's awesome. And you got to know, uh, I mean, throughout the entire show being on staff and whatnot, but I mean, you're traveling with Biff. You yes. got to, you know, I'm sure you got to know him in a, in a, in a special, unique way. Spent a lot of time with Biff. Yeah. That was, that was another, another pleasure of the job, you know, just a, a wonderful guy. Yeah. Rupert G and I are friends. And one of the descriptions I have for Rupert G is it's like God took the word kind and yeah. made it into a human being. Yeah. Um, Biff is another one of those guys where it just what you it seems to me what you see is what you get the genuineness yeah. that goes through the camera whether he was sitting with Dave whether he was just answering a question for Dave with his clipboard or something like that or yeah. in one of his segments it seems like the guy that you see in any one of those examples is the guy who he is well I think I mean I, I think that's very well put and and I think you're you're sort of getting to what I think is is almost like the essence of the show which you know, not that there was a mission statement, but I think were there to be one when Dave started was taking the artifice out of show business. And, you know, our, our skits aren't going to be performed by these, you know, like, you know, these fake actors. It's going to be the guy who's the stagehand and, you know, showing humans the way they really are. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that was the philosophy of the show. It's just kind of like just capturing regular regular thing or people behaving normally yeah yeah the, the, the little moments of life that everybody lives it's a communal thing and i think yeah. you know going back to the to the macro of it as you put it uh i think one of the reasons why you know they you guys were able to create something that was completely different than the tonight show was exactly that we talk about how you break the fourth wall people on this sh- the people we're going to have as guests on this show are also uh, folks who had interactions with the show, either unexpected or dream yeah. true moments, whatever. You know, the example I always use, uh, you know, Dave calls a payphone, right? And then somebody picks up. The person who picked up that payphone, many of them 20 years later are still talking about it yeah. because they had such a cool moment. The life of and, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just celebrating every day, calling the cleaning lady across the street, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, were you part of any of these uh, everyday moments? Were there, were there times where you said, Hey Dave, you should call this person or talk to this person. Is that uh... <laughs> uh, no? But but one thing that you said that reminded me that there was a there's a wonderful guy named Hal Gurney who was the yeah. director of Late Night and the few, first few years of Late Show. I had a phone conversation with him three days ago. Oh oh oh, he's then you know he's 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 the best. He's he's another delightful person. Absolutely. But, so he was also the director when Dave had his morning show before yeah. late night. And he was telling me once that like in the, one of the first shows they did, um, there was um, a, a musician. I want to say Judy Collins, could be wrong, but okay. I Judy Collins, she came on and she was, she was singing and she starts to sing and the mic isn't working. And so she's, she sings her first line and nothing's coming out. And Dave's kind of looking around and Judy's looking around and Hal just got on the PA and went, uh, Judy, hold on for a sec. Your mic's not working. Just give us a second. Give us a second. We'll get it right. And, you know, okay, Judy, you can start singing. And then she does her song. And Hal said after the show, Dave like rushed back to him and was not mad, but just the opposite was like, that's what I want the show to be. Like it felt real. And again, it's, it's stripping away that artifice of TV and showing you like what's going on behind the scene. Not everything's perfect, you know? That yes. We, we are showing warts and all of, of what it is to do a TV show. Well, and, and I think Kellison and I talked about this too, because uh, he worked with Hal 
on a bunch of other projects. It sounds to me like Hal's the guy that made a made a, a historical run in broadcasting and then retired half a dozen times only to be brought back to make another historical run on something else and do and show his genius in other ways. Exactly. Yeah, like for instance, like I do in the remotes, like yeah. um, when the when the Olympics were in Utah, you know, Hal came out of retirement to direct those. And so he and I were spent two weeks in Utah and then we spent another week in Italy when the Olympics were there. And that was just another, just great life experience, just hanging out with Hal for in these uh, locales for a couple of weeks. He is really great. Well, groundbreaking uh, a director of broadcasting, but also a character on the show. Like the fact that, yep. um, you know, I always talk about my big moment there that's behind my, my, my shoulder there. By the way, also recently, not just my moment there, signed to my best friend by Dave himself. That's Dave making fun of me there. No. Uh, and it got, <laughs> the, picture, the picture got taken. The best part about that, well, there's a lot of best parts about it, but was, you know, I think if you're a, letter, a Letterman enthusiast, you would have felt this in college for certain. And you're in that audience. If you're lucky enough to be the recipient of a Hal Gurney quick cut to you in the audience, yeah, uh, you know, which of course stayed on long after he retired, it became a, a, a show, um, you know, yeah. mainstay. People, yeah. That's one of the greatest moments in the entire world. And that came yeah. from Hal being a character, not just a director, but a character who would isolate people in the audience and, and, yeah. and things like that. It's, it's such a neat thing that I don't know was done really ever before that. Certainly not in a, in a, in a talk show format yeah. where they just loosened it up and the inmates kind of ran the asylum. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's what good can come when you have a director who also has a good comedic mind. And Hal was able to see like, who's someone, who's a personality in the audience that I can cut to. And, you know, not, everybody especially in those days like I, I, you know not it wasn't automatic that a right. comedy a comedy show was going to have a comedy director you know like yeah i think in those days like they put like oh this guy directed game shows yeah he can he can direct the late night show and and you <laughs> yeah. know but like dave dave was i think very smart like no this guy directed jack parr he he knows how to direct mm -hmm. a comedic talk show you know and 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 that was yeah yeah, let him speak. Let him be a part of it. I think. Yeah. I think that's that's the other thing that I love so much is that uh, there was a lot of members of the team that got to do that. You think of you think of Tony Mendez, like I, the yeah. the body of work of Tony Mendez. Never mind everything else. Oh my God, yeah. that guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Don Giller put up a, a compilation of of, of Tony uh, shortly after his passing, and, yeah. and holy smokes, the things that that some of these um, these support. Uh, yeah, people on the show could do. Did you ever write anything for any of these people? Like, did you ever write anything for Hal or Jerry? Did you ever write anything for for, for Tony? Or did that stuff just, uh, you know, organically grow on its own and become almost, you know, their own uh, type of writing for the show? Uh, I didn't write for. Oh, like Jerry Mulligan. I was thinking Jerry Foley, like like the director. I, I didn't like, write anything for Jerry Foley because he was a little busy directing the show, so we didn't use him as much. But okay. Like, but but yeah, like I I used to write yeah I'd write stuff for Tony, you know, for Calter, of course, for Rupert. Um, but and and so that's 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 like you know it 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 depends on the bit. Like there there are definitely things that are just purely organic where where Dave can be doing the monologue and suddenly Tony misspelled a word. Sure. On the cue card, and then Dave's calling him out, and Tony's firing back, and and you know that can become forty five seconds of just purely organic, funny stuff. But then there are also other times where you set up a bit where you know. Yes. No, and, and the question was more uh, like, okay, so Hal or Jerry Foley or whatever, would you ever like build into any of the things that you wrote? Okay, and then they could cut over to this or cut over to that, or that was oh. a, they were separate characters on their own. Oh, uh, again, there were times where they would find their own thing. There, there were times where as you're writing something, you're like, oh, I think it would be good to have this shot. And so you talk to them about it. Yeah. That's then, cool. Again, yeah, it's both. It, it's both. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Um, I, I want to, anybody who was there for the 9-11 episode, uh, yes. I, 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 you know, what a segue and transition that is, Mike. Well done. Uh, you're a pro at this. <laughs> Let's go from talking about legendary directors and zaniness and, and these amazing bit players to uh, one of the most traumatic moments in, in, in yes. human history, American history. Uh, yeah. You were, but I, I, I'd be remiss. We're 34 minutes into this already. I don't know how much time I have. I hope, uh, you know, I hope we can go a little longer here. Um, I appreciate it, man. Um, 
you were there, you know, at, at, during the 9-11 um, uh, tragedy. Uh, yes. And, and for me personally, I'm, I live in Western Canada. Yeah. And I can say this with my heart. Like, I was given permission to kind of move on from David Letterman. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just Dave, it was all of you. Um, well, I you mean, know, I... I I, I, I'm going to stop you right there because because that first show back, I mean, that is purely Dave. That 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 all of that was him talking from his heart, and and you know, I I think there was no way to kind of write. It had to be his his honest human reaction. Yeah, uh, it's hard to write that for a person. And Dave, yeah, so Dave deserves all the credit for because that's that's a tight wire that like I mean, before the show started, I was like nervous for him. Like I don't know how you thread this needle but uh no he did he did tremendous absolutely um and and one of the many ways that he has proven uh that he's the greatest broadcaster in human history yeah uh without a doubt the question that i have for you is watching the days and weeks and months after 9 11 yes um knowing the the crazy dynamics of cultural uh and and and, and the stuff that was making the news Yes. Uh, how you guys uh, treated George W. Bush, President George W. Bush beforehand yes. uh, versus after that moment. And, and you know, I, I even remember it was transitioning. It felt like it was two or three weeks after that first show where Dave was like, hey, Paul, can we try a joke here? Should we try a joke? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Would actually note it. Yeah. Um, what was that like in the writer's room for you guys as that time was passing by, as the, the reality, the new normal was setting in? Yeah. Were you guys constantly still writing material, or was it a day by day thing? Uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah, we were writing materials because 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 you had to. But yeah, it was a day to day day to day finding your footing. I, you know, I I I, I the I mean, the first thing that jumps to mind talking about this, and I don't even know if this is true, but like I seem to remember just. You know, you know, like the, the, the analogy I gave about cramming for a test when you come in in the morning, you know, and, and, and you, you, you tear through the newspapers. It was very strange in that during that period, you would come in and you would tear through the newspapers and it would be nothing but news you couldn't joke about, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and, and, and so I remember us. You know, I, before I was talking about how the, the the balance between topical humor and evergreen humor, I remember during that period, it was just like, you couldn't make topical jokes because it was just grim. And and like, I remember it's just like, I, I think at one point, like doing a top 10 list about the Jolly Green Giant, just because it was <laughs> silly and yeah. it won't hurt anyone's feelings or make people cry. Um, yeah, so I remember that being an odd time. I, I, I was not a huge fan of George W. Bush, even in the days after uh, 9-11. So I, I kind of very quickly wanted to get back on and, and making jokes about the administration, criticizing the administration. Dave was kind of wary about that. Like we need to, we need to hang back. And but so, yeah. yeah. And so that went, in my memory, it went a couple months. And then I remember there was a weekend in I want to say December or January, where the president um, had bruises, he had abrasions on his face, and it was <laughs> it was because the president uh, choked on a pretzel and fell down and hit his head on a table and bruised his cheek. And and thank you, God. I, I remember it's fine at, again. At, at that point, Dave kind of nodded and went, "Yeah, okay, I guess we can make fun of this guy again." Like I think I think. Superman has lost his cape. I, uh... <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. As much I love as we it. I wanted to pretend he's this wartime uh, uh, president. Uh, yeah. I... <laughs> Defining moment of the late show uh, and its tone. Okay, we yeah. can go and do this again. Um, there's, a, there's a beautiful moment of normalcy. And again, yeah. the great moments in presidential history. I mean, they wrote themselves uh, in many ways, but you guys were able to leverage them so beautifully like everything in that segment there i love that segment uh, and i love the editing i've always loved the editing of of, yeah. of, of dave's stuff the quick edits you know yeah. uh the, the 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 fraction of a jingle and then it's gone and then it's like like i yeah. just love that that style how quick it was and and uh uh what a what a what a great 
what a great thing that that's, you were a part that, of. That's, Dave, I mean, that's something that I've learned that I've carried with me, and, and I think it's really true, is Dave, I mean, his note on almost everything was shorter, 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 shorter. Like, like he really, yeah. and I would watch, and so like it would, it would be frustrating at times because I would like, like when I would do those remotes where I would go someplace for three days and shoot a piece and then like, you know, uh, there'd be like a lot of jokes that I would want in there. And I would, ideally, I would want like a big piece, but Dave was always, and I would watch other shows and their remotes would be like seven or eight minutes, you know? Right. And I would be like, oh my gosh, I want that kind of real estate. But Dave was always like, no, the remote should be three minutes, three and a half minutes. And like, and like, I remember like, you know, I would hand in like, you know, a five minute cut of the piece and I would get word back, like, it's fine, but it needs to be three and a half minutes. Cut whatever you want. Sure. <laughs> like, it's sure. just, it's, there's, there's no bad joke here necessarily that I want out. It's just more, I want it short. And like, and, and, and I, I don't think I was there. I, I, I don't remember, but like, I, I have a memory of Dave at a rehearsal and there was some watching, he was watching some piece where it was kind of, um, it was a joke where I'm, I'm doing a lousy job of explaining this, but it was basically the joke hit the premise and then it kind of, it just furthered. It was just, there was a joke and then another example of hitting the same premise and another Redundant a little and bit, like, little redundancy. All, all fine jokes, but like Dave was watching it and he just went, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't get funnier, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> and, it, and, and like, that's very true. Like the jokes might be fine, but You've already had the great version of that joke the first time. The audience has already got like, it's not going to get funnier now. It, it's like, yeah, cut your losses, take your win, take your laugh and end the piece there, you know? Hit the drum one time, that's all you need to do. Yeah. 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 Um, I love that. I love this. I love this insight that you're bringing me. I'm, it's funny, you know, at the beginning of these things, I get really like almost, I get fanboy. I totally, totally do. And then the discussion starts and, 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 uh, the insights that you're providing here, Tommy, are, are tremendous. I'm, I'm so grateful for this oh. here. Um, you, you talked a little bit about uh, this in, in, in our last um, few paragraphs there, the idea of uh, things that were, were written and then cast aside, not necessarily because they were bad. Right. Uh, this is really putting you on the spot, but I have always wondered this ever since I was in in high school reading about this stuff you know I nerded out about this stuff and I always wondered like the stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor yeah. uh, for whatever reason um, this is really putting you on the spot and there might be nothing because it seems like you just almost can't have nostalgia or a memory of things or whatever because it's just so fast and you got to stay yeah. current yeah were there any moments that you guys either shot something or you wrote something or, uh, and it was, it was almost there, but then now, now we, we cast it aside. Were there any that you were like, God damn, I wish, wish we could have had that one in the show. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, did, 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 did. I mean, I, I, like, honestly, like Dave, I would, I would say like your, your, your success rate generally, like for a writer, even a, a good writer, was about 10%. I would think, you know, for like, you know, every one thing you get on, nine things are getting shot down. It so ain't baseball. It's less yeah. than baseball. So oh, like that, gosh. so that very quickly, you kind of lose that. You, you, you understand that that's the gig. And, There's and, no and, taking anything personal in this game. Yeah. And, and yeah. you develop a callus and you, and so, so it's funny, like when you mentioned the joke that springs to mind, I now realize is from one of my first weeks as a writer, and it's probably because I hadn't developed that callus yet. And so oh, that's fascinating. And, and and I remember it was there was a top 10 we did. There was it was an you know a, a news story that some company, some far to assume pharmaceutical company had developed basically Prozac for dogs. Sure. And <laughs> and so we did a top 10 list of top 10 depressing thoughts your dog has. And <laughs> So all the jokes are from the perspective of a dog, you know, depressing thoughts your dog has. And I had one that I thought uh, was just such a, I thought, you know, I don't know. I thought it was a, a smart joke and, you know, didn't hurt anybody. And I, I, it frustrated me that, it, that Dave didn't pick it. But it was, um, it was, okay, depressing thoughts your dog has. And it was, I'm turning 40 this year and 41 and 42 and 43 <laughs> and 44. <laughs> You know, who doesn't love a dog age seven years? <laughs> it's seven. 
Oh my God, that's fantastic. That is um, very clever. <laughs> uh, and then another thing that I, another thing I shot over weeks, it, it, I had this thing called Late Show the Movie, which then I, I saw later Kimmel did kind of a similar thing, but it was as big stars would come through for their interviews, I would grab them before the show. And it was basically, I had this trailer for a fake Late Show movie that had like Julia Roberts, you, you know, just every, yeah. you know, Tom Hanks, Jason Bateman, all these, you know, stars studded and and uh for whatever reason i don't know dave dave just saw it and then was like uh, i don't know you know he just he kind of queasiness about the idea of you know a late show movie like are who are we pretending to, that you know and i was like ah <laughs> wow not, not many other hosts would have turned down kind of that amount of i was i was gonna but, i was gonna say um it, because the next question i have is is, is learning to write in Dave's self-deprecating voice and things like that. And, and I feel like him kind of being uh, standoffish about that has yeah. to do with the fact that, you know, I, I, I see that being a really funny late show type joke. And then, you know, finishing it off with, you know, and David Letterman and then having a picture, like, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, a, a punchline that leads to self-deprecation almost. I, I, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Um, that seems to me, it's so crazy talking to you because you do talk in the voice of something that I've watched forever. It's so interesting. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever said that to you or not. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm nuts. I am nuts, but no, 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 you're really, not. You, you, God damn, you've got that sensibility there. Did it take a long time for you to learn to write in Dave's voice or sensibility? And was it conscious or was it just being in the environment and just trying to show yeah, up? Yeah, it, it personally, like I could see that being hard for a lot of people. And and there would you would see it a lot with a lot of new writers because I mean, it's crazy the amount of like, the amount of sort of like trap doors there are in Dave's mind, like reasons he will have to kill a piece. And just like these little landmines that writers will, put in their piece that they don't even realize that it's, you know, it's, you know, uh, it's going to be a reason for Dave to be like, oh, no, we're not doing that, you know? And uh, so I think just, yeah, I had, I had been around, you know, for several years before I even became a writer. And so I think I had a pretty good sensibility, you know, not a hundred percent, obviously, but, but like had a pretty good sense of what he would do, what he wouldn't do. And, and yeah. I don't want to go too far into inside baseball with this, but but I'm going to ask the question anyway. <clears throat> are there any of those landmines that you can kind of talk about, like that are that are fairly you know generic or 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 just basic? <laughs> you know, don't talk about this because of or don't ever talk about this. Uh, you know, it, it's right. it's a personal life thing or or something like that. Like, um, hmm. ah, uh, that, that's a that's a great question. I don't know if I have anything loaded up, but yeah, there would be. Um, and also, I'm, I'm going to reverse myself now. Pivot, yeah. Um, I remember Hillary, Hillary Clinton telling a story once when, in like in 92, when, you know, she, when Bill was running for president and kind of the moment when she realized her life had changed, um, she asked somebody for a Dr. Pepper and they got her a Dr. Pepper. And then she was like, the rest of the campaign, everywhere she went, every hotel room, there was oh, just Dr. Peppers. That's there were Dr. Peppers. There were Dr. Peppers. And so I always would check myself like some, I would always wonder like some of the rules we have about Dave, how many of those are things that we've now made hard, fast rules because he said it once, you know, and maybe right. it was just that particular thing. And we've tried to universalize it, you know, uh, you know, I always wonder, you know, sometimes did we go too far with that? Like, hamstringing ourselves yeah like oh we better not do this because dave doesn't like that unnecessary boundaries because yeah. you didn't like it one time or whatever yeah and you guys made it into an institutional yeah. uh rule oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. huh so, i don't know um no that's that's uh, Can i, I tell another okay. story yes oh my god is, as many as you want this is <laughs> this is, well, this is this doesn't involve dave but it, it kind of made me i was reminded of it with the dr pepper story and kind of the best version of that kind of power of celebrity um there was a guy who was an intern at the show who then later did uh an internship at skywalker ranch which nice. is where they do the star wars films you know sure is so <laughs> he was an intern there 
when I think they were doing one of the prequels. Wow. And so George Lucas comes into this conference room where they're having a meeting and there's a big conference room table and on one wall is a window into the next room where they're building, you know, droids or whatever, you know, they're building some sort of, you know, Star Wars creature. Yeah. So George Lucas is talking in the conference room and out of the corner of his eyes, he's keeping a view of what's going on with the building in the next room. And then he sees that they're kind of going down the wrong path and how they're building things. So he goes, excuse me. He gets up, he walks towards the wall and he has to, you know, he has to head out the door and take two steps and walk in the other door to get into the next room where the window is looking. Yes. And as he's doing that, uh, he just under his breath said, oh, it would have been nice if there was a door here. So the next day he's in the conference room and <laughs> he walks in and he sees that now there is a door there in the conference room. And he went, did you guys put a door here just because I mumbled that? And they were like, yes. And he goes, don't do that kind of stuff. I was just, I was just talking out loud. Do not do that kind of stuff. And they were like, okay. He comes in the next day. He looks, there's no door. They've removed the door now. <laughs> and he was like, stop, stop, stop. It was like, it was like Midas trying to stop making things turn gold, you know? Like, <laughs> oh my God. That is, um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Like, I, I okay. you know, I, I don't know that I can go as deep on Star Wars as I can with Letterman stuff, but but I can go deep. And that is one of the best uh, showbiz kind of example stories I've ever heard of something like that. That is a, it's, it's, the fact that it went back again. That's yeah. even funnier. I mean, that's like, the time is what makes it the charm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Um, God, I want to, uh, oh, the right, okay, I want to talk to you about the writer's strike, because again, yeah. again, there's a bunch of things that I'm piling in here, in case it is the only opportunity I ever get to speak with you, and then anything else from here is cake. Um, you would have seen two writer's strikes, or just one? I guess just the one. Just one. Um, that was a real interesting time in, in, in comedy. Um, I saw a group of you, I don't know if you were on the panel or not, but there was a panel that was done during the writer's strike where a few of you were uh, on a stage talking about it. Somebody made a, made a joke, like, how does it feel like being able to use David Letterman as your personal sock puppet, something like that. Um, uh, the, the writer's strike was a very interesting time. And it was interesting in the fact that you guys ended up getting a separate deal than everybody else. Yes. Um, it, could you talk about the writer's strike? Any uh, memories that, that pile up as I, as I say those uh, clumsily put together words? Uh, the, the words were lovely. Um, I was, uh, I, uh, I guess I didn't understand the responsibilities of a union. <laughs> uh, when the strike was first announced, I was like, cause you know, you're on this hamster wheel at the late show. Da, 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 da. And then suddenly it was like, oh, a strike for an indefinite amount of time. And I, you know, part of me was kind of like, oh, nice. You know, I, I get to sleep in <laughs> and, um, I'm not allowed to write. I'm not yeah, allowed exactly. to write. So yeah. I was kind of thrilled, <laughs> but then I was told by the union that, that no, we have to, we have to go March. <laughs> and so suddenly <laughs> You're not getting paid, but you have to go out every day and stand in the cold and march. Da, da, da. And, and again, it should have occurred to me that yes, this is this is this is the responsibility of a union, and 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 this is where all the good things come from a union. Um, but the thing I want, I, the reason I mention it is the first day of the strike. The march was at Thirty Rock, and it was the first day of the strike, and so a lot of media was there, and just all a lot of you know a lot of stars who have writing credits. Yep. were there also marching and you know and you know getting their, picture, getting their picture taken in <laughs> in the in the paper that first day day two and subsequent days no more celebrities you know no <laughs> more celebrities except seth myers there was oh. never a day where i was marching and seth myers wasn't there and i was so impressed by and i just wanted to give him a little shout out that 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 you know he was and he was on air talent and yet he was he was plugging away every day on air talent, but a writer before that, though, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. always a diehard writer. Like, yeah. and so many, uh, this is a, a great question for you now that people have seen you and heard you uh, for 50 minutes or so. Um, you know, a lot of writers uh, start writing. Dave himself, you know, uh, Tom Dreesen talked about this. He wanted to, you know, when Dave jumped in the truck and moved 
out to Hollywood. Yeah, the aspirations of, 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 of getting on The Tonight Show, sure. But at the end of the day, realistically, I wanted to be a writer, Gary Shandling, yeah. writer, and then turned into performers. Uh, Seth Meyers, I think another good example of that just now yeah. that you mentioned. Um, you clearly have uh, the chops or the, uh, the, the personality where you could be a performer. You're witty, you've got, you've got some cleverness to you, all that kind of stuff. A brilliant writer. Um, clearly you've got tenacity to be able to work there as long as you did. Uh, yeah. Have you ever thought about getting in front of the camera? I, I only in retrospect, and, and I regret that I didn't do it. Like I, I would do, I would do- Is it too late? I mean, God, man, I mean, I, I, it doesn't I, look like it's too late. I think, um, but no, but like I would, I would occasionally do pieces on the show and I, and like, and, you know, only in retrospect now, I think about how like, you know, it, it's that thing you hear performers all the time where I would get very nervous beforehand, but then once it was, once it was going on, yeah. it was like the happiest I've ever been. And just, it, and it just felt very freeing. And like, I've heard actors and stuff talk that way. And like, that's why I decided to become an actor. And now in my old age, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe I should have pursued that avenue. Um, but I guess I guess I, I kind of always like the idea of writing and just having some time and some care and and really, you know, being able to plan things out a little to polish it up and, yeah. and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, you, you clearly have that delivery. We didn't do any pre-interview really before this thing. I'm just saying that as, as a organic reaction to, to our back and forth here. Um, you know, if ever you decide to uh, to do a podcast or something like that, anything like that, you, you got to subscribe right here. You're very oh, you know, delightful you, when it comes to that. Thank you. No, no, no. Of course. Um, talk about remotes. Uh, there's one in particular that came up. You used to write for Alan Coulter. Did you ever write any of Alan Coulter's remotes? Oh, like the the or not remotes, but like uh, like yeah. sorry, sketches or, or yes, or, uh, yeah. I would write. I would write, I would write. Yeah, some sketches for Alan and. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, the thing that jumps out about Alan is going back to the thing I said earlier about, you know, Biff is who he is and Rupert is who he is. And the show, like to its credit, had a very kind of amateur hour quality to it. You know, yes. like we, we weren't slick professionals, which was great and charming in its way. Sometimes as, as a writer, it was a little frustrating that, you know, you couldn't give like a big soliloquy to Rupert, you know, like, mm. um, he would love that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the, but the, I would say that except for Alan. Yeah. Anything you threw at Alan, he could do it. He would elevate it. He would make it better. And just like, he was just, he was such a gift to the writing staff. Like it, it, it was just, it. I just loved his talent and and being able to like give him a script and have him make it five times better. Um, yeah. It He's was incredible. Oh, absolutely. Right. It's a pleasure writing for Alan. I could imagine it was. Um, I'm going to ask you on the spot here. If it wasn't, if it wasn't you, I'm going to ask if you know who wrote it. Because uh, I definitely want to talk to them. My very favorite Alan Coulter moment of all time okay. was, a, was a, a video package that you guys did. It didn't start with a video package. It started with him on stage. And mm -hmm. randomly at some point, he looks at Dave and goes, hey, Dave. And yes, Alan, and it cuts to Alan, and he's wearing a sailor suit. Okay. He goes, he goes uh, aren't we going to do the, aren't we going to do my sailor sketch? And he's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> Alan. I'm sorry, Alan. Uh, we don't have time to do your sailor sketch. And yeah. Alan looks up, and he leaves despondent. Uh -huh. And then the video package starts, and it's him descending into an apocalypse now style horror the horror white rabbits yeah. playing by jefferson airplane he breaks yeah. the glass and the blood and he puts up oh it was my favorite moment by far did you write that i did i don't think i did uh uh my get if if i had to put money on it um i would say that was probably uh carter bays and craig thomas okay uh they 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 often uh, uh, captured uh, Alan's descent into madness <laughs> in, a really, in a really nice way. So I would I would I would hazard a guess that was them. Okay, well, uh, shout out to those guys. And yeah. uh, hey, I'm you know I'll I'll get you my digits, boys. Let's let's. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to, I really want to be careful with your time here. Uh, what are you working on right now? Like, I mean, I, I've read a quote somewhere. I actually, it, it might've been from Ian's podcast. Now that I think about it where, uh, you know, you worked for the late show for a long time and then you've been searching for jobs ever since or something like that. Yeah. Said tongue in cheek. Um, obviously working with Strayham and all that you've worked with Larry one more. Oh, I gotta ask you about this. You yeah. helped write for the president, the, 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 the White House Correspondents Dinner. 
I not much. I okay. I, You're credited it was, at it, and so I saw that. With well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, like, oh shit, this is this is cool. This is what, what, what yeah. I'm I mean, I I I like helped a teeny amount, but it was it was it was more. I was I was the head writer at the time at the Wilmore show, so I was kind of tied up just with the show. Yeah. So, okay. like, I, I I went to a couple like we had a couple meetings like to go over stuff like at night after the show, but uh, 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 Robin Thede, uh, who's a great performer, and um, uh, she was kind of the go-to writer for the correspondence thing. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I just, I saw that and I was like, wow, what a, what a thing to be involved in. Even, yeah. even, even on the surface, that's a really cool, yeah. that's, a, that's a cool thing that some of your stuff has gotten into a, a, a very exclusive room there. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, I always wish Dave would have hosted that, uh, that event, that was always something I, I, as a fan, wanted to see. Yeah. Um, so, so what are you working on now? Well, I, 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 uh, I have kids now, and I, I'm, I'm less uh, interested in the kind of late night world, which is yeah. a grind. And so, I've kind of been trying the past couple of years to like kind of develop a, a couple different sitcom ideas um to varying degrees of success so yeah so uh, uh, uh kind of writing writing scripts good for you yeah. um are you doing a lot of pitch meetings and things like that uh some you know which i'm uh, uh, uh you know it, it is an art that i a skill that i do not have <laughs> uh you know there's <laughs> uh yeah people in la who do that kind of stuff a lot better than i but oh, uh, i'm trying yeah Oh, that's cool, man. Well, I just uh, I appreciate you so much for opening up uh, your time to be part of this. Uh, we want to build something that that really is kind of a living museum um, and archive of, of, again, I say it like I'm a broken record, of the greatest body of broadcasting work in history. You are a major, major, major part of that, Tommy. Um, before, we, before we take her home, are there any highlight moments? And if you're like the rest of the staff that I've talked to, you guys are you're terrible at at taking compliments and you're not very good at self-promotion, that kind of thing. Um, that seems to be a family trait. But um, I'm going to ask, is there something that jumps out at you, a moment that you're really proud of, a couple moments that are really proud of that, uh, okay. that you wrote? I will mention this one because you like Star Wars. Okay. So this is, this jumped to mind. Um, uh, Bill Clinton was a guest on our show one night. And so before he goes on for his guest segment, he's in an area that we call the airlock, which is just like, it's this little room right backstage where the guests, where some of the staff hangs out yep. and where um, the guest waits right before they go on. Yep. So right before Clinton's segment, Dave's doing the top 10 list. That I forget the, the topic, but it was, it was a topic that involved Star Wars. Okay. And so I had a joke that mentioned Chewbacca. And so Dave does the joke and there's a monitor in the room and, and you know, people in the room are laughing and Clinton turns to everybody in the room looking confused and said, now, who's Chewbacca? <laughs> I, 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 I won kind of like how I inadvertently got Bill Clinton to say Chewbacca, but I also, <laughs> I also find this, it, it's, it's a question that's plagued me now for years because we know what a liar Clinton is. I find, <laughs> it, I find it hard to believe oh my God. that Bill Clinton didn't know who Chewbacca was because right. when Star Wars came out in 1977, he wasn't president. He was like, yeah. you know, maybe, I, I don't know, attorney general in Arkansas. Like the guy would have been aware. I, I think he likes to put on the aura that he's this world statesman. He doesn't have time for Chewbacca. Sure. But I think he was of an age where surely he 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 was familiar with Chewbacca and the guy does crossword puzzles. And, sure. and so I don't know. That's just, you know, if, I, I would love to really grill him on that, but. There's another element to that that boss. I think could be, could be part of it. He also, Bill Clinton has this aw shucks kind of charisma that yeah. uh, to me, and I mean, no, no offense to any of the Clinton people who might ever hear this, uh, that might be a little bit, a little bit what Dave naturally has. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. kind of the aw shucks. 
the Oshocks, yeah, that 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 folksy kind of a. I think Clinton does a really good job of flipping that switch sometimes and turning it right. on. And the Chewbacca thing, it feels like, oh, this would be a fun thing to say, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, that yeah, switch yeah. on. And, <laughs> and they'll all they'll all like that. I've never heard of Chewbacca, like Chewbacca, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a delightful memory. Um, yeah. God damn, I cannot wait to share more of these uh, with you at another time. Sure. Um, is there anything? Okay, so this is your first uh, time on the Letterman podcast. Uh, we are, um, you know, very, uh, you know, humble in what we're doing right now. And it's, 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 it's a studio that's in my basement. That's about to be retrofitted. And we're going to do some really cool things with this. Um, any advice for me here? Advice? No, none. You're 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 doing great. This is this has been a pleasure. You keep a, a nice, smooth interview. Oh, I I, I think I think your space looks great, and the fact that you're going to make it even more beautiful, I think, is just it's dazzling. It's incredible. Oh. You're doing great. They ain't seen nothing yet. I've got uh, one way to wrap it up. This is the way we wrap it up with everybody. Uh, Dave, obviously, doing the long form now. My next guest. We talk about Letterman with all of the phases of what he has done with. Um, you know, equal adoration because different folk, different strokes for different folks. Uh, now that yeah. he's doing the long form, if there were three people that you would like to see Dave have on my next guest needs no introduction, who would those people be? Mm. Tarantino. Oh, what a great answer. Just because hey, I think Tarantino does a great interview, but that, but then also Dave and Tarantino had trouble back in the day. And so I remember, yes. I would like, I would like to hear uh, an airing of that. Yep. Um, you know, I always enjoy Dave and Tom Hanks. I think that's always a great interview. Yep. Uh, 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 I don't know. Springsteen. Oh, oh, that's a, hey, there's a good answer too. Yeah, I love it. Tom Hanks, Springsteen, and Tarantino. That's fantastic. Uh, from the mouth of Tommy Ruprecht right here. You've heard it on the Letterman podcast. That is another episode. I just, I love them. They go so fast, but it is so much fun going back and celebrating all of this work that uh, the entire team, that Tommy and the entire team did uh, that, was, that was thrown down because they had a show the next day. Our job to pick up those pieces that got thrown down, unearth them, shine them <laughs> back up again and talk about them. Tommy, you are fantastic. Thank you so much for being on Mike, the show you. today. My I, pleasure. That's well, I don't know. It, it was definitely my pleasure. If it was yours as well, that's a, a massive, massive bonus. That is another episode of the Letterman Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is the only time I'm going to ask this like, share, subscribe in whatever order you want. We would love that. We are a little engine that could, and we really want to go some places. Once again, the Hello Deli, our only sponsor of the show, is brought to you in part by the Hello Deli, hello deli.com for all your late show with David Letterman stuff. And if you go down there, have a Paul Schaefer sandwich. Tell them what's on, Mike. Thank you very much. Um, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you, and good night. Overcoat and underpants. <laughs>